Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, I'm going to be saying it. Some of you, it's past Thanksgiving, so you have to, uh, uh, like, socially allow me to say this to you over and over. Uh, Merry Christmas. Hey, uh, especially if you're online or um, maybe you're watching in Nebraska, uh, from what we hear, or uh, you're a deployed person somewhere, uh, Merry Christmas. We hope that you get to tune in as much as possible. Um, We're going into a series called Advent. We thought long and hard about this. Like, what should we as a church, you know, name a sermon series for Christmas, Advent. And uh, so you're welcome. We spent a lot of time on this. Uh, so let me confess something to you as a pastor's kid. Uh, many times I would be in church, all, well, all the time I was in church, and, uh, and we would do stuff as Christians or as just people, churchgoers, part of church, we would do stuff. And as a kid, I was like, <laughs> I have no idea why we're doing this. Just uh, my, my parents were doing it there and we were, we were at something and we were talking about something. And so I was like, well, you better not ask why because you guess you're supposed to know. And we would just do that. And you know what I think we do that sometimes with? It's church tradition. And I'm gonna bring up Advent as one of those. We're like, well, of course we would do Advent, right? It's it's about Christmas. Meanwhile, you got to know, majority of us are like, please don't ask me any more detail, though, about what that is. So don't feel bad. I, I want to go into what, well, the origins of Advent. And before we, like, open it up, and let's, we're going to look at the Word of God and see what God has to say. But, but if you allow me just for a second, let's nerd out for a little bit. Okay, just, this won't be very long. For those of you, like, you preferred PE over history class, right? That was me. But so let me take you back into some history the, the, where we can track the, the formal beginning of Advent is in the fourth century. Actually, some churches uh, around 373-80 in South America started formally actually remembering, like in a formal way, the birth of Jesus Christ. And then they would even add on to that in the future, not just, not just the first coming, but the second coming of Jesus. And, and Advent it was given a little bit of like, hey, we're going to focus entirely on that. Now here, this will mess with some of you. You're like, okay, I know what Advent is. It's, 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 it's four weeks of such and such, and you start that, that Sunday or whatever right after Thanksgiving. Actually, that's not the traditional way. If you want to know the traditional way, the old school way, was from December 17th, I believe. December 17th through December 29th. You went to church every single day. Huh? And what they would do is, every single day for for that time period, so about middle of December to the end of December, even beyond, yes, beyond Christmas Day, uh, you would go to church with you and your family, and you would dwell on Jesus showing up. It was a big deal. But to even walk you further into this, you know why they were gathering? You're like, well, Christmas, right? (laughs) Actually, Advent was created for all of the new believers that had decided to follow Jesus in that season to prep for their baptism in January. And that was Advent. Advent was for lack of better words, and I apologize, a systematic way of helping all of the new believers know that a Christian is all about Jesus, hears all the details and the information, yay, go to church every day for a while, and then go get baptized. There's your nerdy information about Advent. 
It's changed since then. It's amazing uh, the traditions that we think that we're following, they aren't, we aren't actually following the original traditions. I didn't mean to blow up some of your ideas, but uh, here. Uh, so over the course of Advent also, it's become, I think, misunderstood as what it actually means. So let's go, let's go basic here. This is the actual meaning of Advent coming. So that's why it's focused on the coming of our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's, let's not be a kind of church that just says, yeah, we do Advent. What's it about? Christmas. Uh, it's about the coming of Jesus. So it makes sense that uh, if you're a Christian, that Christians would, would spend a, a very focused amount of time dwelling on, focusing on, putting all their attention on the coming, the arrival of Jesus, of Christ. It's beyond just the smell of good sugar cookies with an way too much icing on them. It's more than your Christmas tree and where you get it. It's, you know this, right? I know I can, I can I could go down the list of this stuff. You're like, well, I know what it's about. But, but so let's as a church not just know what it's about. Let's live what it's about. That's what we're going to do. That's what Advent is going to be about. Where we're going to look at everything going all around the whole Christmas story, the, the arrival of Jesus. It's crazy that we can name something Christmas. Christmas, right? And often we forget what it's about. So that's why I think sometimes focusing on Advent and the coming of Jesus helps to get us all in that a little bit better of alignment. Now, I don't know uh, the traditions that you grew up in. Some of you grew up in the tradition of never heard of church, and some of you grew up in the tradition, much like myself, where that's all you knew. In the mix there is all different ways of worshiping. So let me show you the traditional approach I uh, call them the themes of, of Advent. Hope, faith, joy, peace. Some of you are like, but the sign I bought at Hobby Lobby has love in it. <laughs> okay. Some of you are like, oh no, I bought the wrong one. <laughs> so this just shows you that tradition, even though you and I can be involved in something, Sometimes the words change, and sometimes uh, who, who decides to put the artistic interpretation on what we're going after, it, it, it changes some things up. And the reason love gets thrown in there is that faith week, where it's about faith in the love that God has for you. So I just want you to see, I just want you to see, the objective is not that you and I are good traditionalists. The objective is that you and I gather and we dwell on Jesus. You got that? Does that make sense? Uh, hopefully, okay, that's the kind of group we're gonna be. So, so we're gonna go after uh, the top of the list. Let's talk about hope, because you want it. Politicians use it as a way to get you and I hooked. Hope is something that, if you've ever uh, thought about this, that when you have found yourself in a situation that was going in a direction you did not want it to go, 
Maybe, maybe it was as uh, simple as you had a conversation, didn't go the way you wanted, and, and someone asked you, how'd it go? Well, well, I hope it went okay, right? Like, I'm not sure. It's when you have this ounce of uncertainty and discomfort going on, and you recognize, I don't have full control over this, so I hope. We're talking about hope, because you need it. I believe you actually want it. I think about it all the time. So I want to take you to, well, a weird place in the Bible. You okay with this? I know that sounds weird to even set it up as a weird place in the Bible, but uh, this is about Christmas, but maybe at first glance it won't feel like it's about Christmas. Let me, let me read this to you. This is in Luke chapter 2, by the way, just as a tip, if you're like, what, you know, how do I celebrate Christmas with my family? Torture your kids in, on Christmas morning by reading the Christmas story. I know it sounds weird for a pastor to say, but is there like googly eyes over all the presents, you're like, no, this is about Jesus, so we're going to read. If you want to know where to read, Luke chapter 2 is a great part of the Christmas story to read. We're going to skip that part. That's why I told you this is weird. Stay in that same chapter, though. Luke chapter 2, eight days later, after Jesus was born, eight days later when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. So just stop for a second. Eight days passed. <laughs> No one has named the kid. <laughs> Are you willing to just admit that that's weird? Now, that's actually their custom, and it was actually written in how they were supposed to do things, so I'll explain this, but sometimes we read the Bible so fast, we're like, yeah, that's normal. No, it's not, okay? <laughs> Typically, you have to name that kid. They encourage you to name that kid before you leave, okay? So eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, so they're just following the law. Notice this. Mary and Joseph are just following the rules. If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of you're thinking it, aren't you? <laughs> Two turtle ducks. Okay. <clears throat> now, some of you, I'm not, you're not going to listen to the rest of the sermon. This is, that's... <sighs> so according to the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, let's talk about this very briefly. Because what just happened is so significant. And you may not know about Jewish culture, Maybe you don't know a whole lot about Jewish law, but let me tell you something, that, that may be the portion of the sermon that is meant just to encourage you in the sense of hope that God has this. His plan is better than, his implementation of a plan is better than your plan. So let me give you some history here. So yes, eight days, they would wait eight days to name the kid, and that basically once the child was circumcised, then they would name the child. Again, not because they were being indecisive, going, we don't know. They're the ones who had an angel actually say, uh, here's the name, right? We would love that as parents, like, or maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you want to choose your name. I don't know. Uh, so they weren't being indecisive. They were following the system, the law, which is fascinating that, that the parents of Jesus begin the life of Jesus following the law. 
After a woman gave birth, there was a season of purification, 40 days. After the 40 days is when mom and dad would then uh, go, however far it was, would go to the temple to dedicate that child to God. You've seen us as a church do this very regularly. We dedicate children to the Lord, right? But like, we're, we're extracting that tradition and living that tradition out. Now, let me help you. They're not baptizing that baby. They're dedicating him to the Lord, going, we're gonna raise this kid to know God. So 40 days pass, and this is what should grip you. This is the, all that to say. So Mary and Joseph show up, and if you'll cut, cut this, they got two doves or birds to sacrifice, right? Do you know that that actually was the secondary sacrifice that a person was supposed to do? Meaning, uh, if you did this and you were to go to the temple and you were to sacrifice, you were to follow the Jewish law, okay? Hey, it's been, it's been 40 days, so now it's time to go to the temple. We've got to sacrifice. What you're going to sacrifice was a lamb. That's what you're supposed to do. Those were the, that was the top rule, right? That you, you, you bought a lamb or you raised a perfect lamb and you brought that lamb to the temple to be sacrificed on behalf of this child. Mary and Joseph did not do that. Do you know why? They couldn't afford the lamb. So there were rules written in the rules. Welcome to government. There were rules written in the rules to say, you're supposed to bring a lamb, but if you can't afford the lamb, you gotta get some birds because birds are cheaper. I'm trying to help you see the accurate picture of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being born into this world. He was born into a family who didn't have everything. You need to know that kind of stuff. He was born into a family that wasn't like overly privileged, had everything, must have been easy to beat Jesus. No. We get the sign right at the beginning. They didn't even have money to do the appropriate sacrifice, so they had to buy what was considered the lesser sacrifice in front of everybody, by the way. And what gets me is this. They couldn't afford the lamb. If you know your Bible, you know one of the names given to Jesus Christ is that he is the lamb of God, that he would be the lamb led to slaughter that Jesus would show up, grow up, and would eventually be crucified, being called the Lamb of God. It's crazy to me that the guy who would be the perfect lamb, his parents couldn't even afford one. The Christmas story is so full of stuff you and I need to know. And sometimes it's just appreciation that the guy who was born into a family who couldn't even afford the right sacrifice becomes the first sacrifice, which shows you if you don't like your life right now, don't give up on hope. That God can do things that doesn't make sense to you and I, doesn't fit into our constructs of even our social way of living and all that kind of stuff. God is in charge. Some of us just need to be reminded of that. That this little kid, born into a dirt poor family with a jacked up beginning in history. I think it worked out okay. That's not even the sermon. Because all of a sudden, what I wanna point out to you is what happens while they're at the temple. Because it's incredible. Still related to hope. So while they're you know, at the temple doing their thing, doing the ritual, doing the law, at that time, 
there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting, remember that, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon, perhaps a guy that we don't talk about around Christmas time, even though I think he technically fits into the story of the Christmas story. Simeon, you may not know much about Simeon other than what the Bible just described to you and I. So let's go after this. The Bible just describes him as righteous. Now, maybe you don't know what the word righteous means. Here's one definition, conformity with God's character, meaning a description of Simeon was that his character, Simeon's character, aligned with, conformed to, looked like the character of God. Sometimes we read the Bible, and it'll say words like righteous, and we're like, well, my parents grew up in the 60s. They used the word righteous a lot then. And if you're like, some of you are like, 60s, when was that? Like, and a lot of times we don't understand the word righteous and we, and we get lost in translation is what I'm saying. So we need, we need like guys like Simeon to say, here's, here's what it looks like by definition, it just meaning that by description, by observation, Simeon is a guy who has chosen to live in such a way that his character, not what he wants in his ideals about life, but his character, how, who he is uh, in private and in public looks a lot like the character of God. Ooh, wouldn't that be something? I mean, most of us would be like, I, I, I'd like someone to say that about me. It helps you understand a little bit about Simeon, describing him as righteous, a guy's character as being strong, but not just strong, not just a nice person. You'll hear us say a godly person, meaning holding the character of God, exampling it. Don't miss what I'm teaching you right now, because some of you are. I'm teaching you about how to have hope. And Simeon is described as someone who's righteous, having the character of God. There's another word given to him, devout. Holding on to that which is good, even when you are tempted to lose grip. You need help with this? Maybe you've been in a relationship where you were tempted to completely let go of something you had committed to. You lost hope. It's powerful to me that uh, the Bible is telling us about someone who's not only has this character of God, but connects it to being devout, being, being that he has wrestled with, apparently, temptations to say, I, I'm done with this. I, I'm disheartened by this. This is discouraging to me. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. But Simeon's been described to us not only as being a guy who is godly, which some of us would say, isn't that enough of a description of a guy? Like, he's godly, okay. But then they add to that righteous and devout. In other words, he is the character of God and he's not going to give up on it. Whew. One little verse in the Bible, we're done. Have a great day today, guys, right? Where you're just like, okay, I wanna hope. I wanna have hope. Someone give me hope. And sometimes God's like, what if you were to put some work in this? What if you were to have the character of God and some grip that you weren't willing to let go of? That's why Simeon epitomized how to hope. In this little blip in the Bible where many of us are like, I've never heard of this Simeon, dude. Typically we stop, right? The angels do this stuff and it's cool, it's Christmas story. Eat, open the presents. I'm thinking eat the food, but uh, open the presents. Like that's, right? 
And we miss this powerful, very profound part in the same chapter that we're getting taught, not just that there is hope, but how to hope. Now, Simeon uh, is described, I read it to you, that uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him and led him to the temple, right? Let's jump back in the scripture. And had revealed, the Holy Spirit came upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. How about that promise? <laughs> that day the Lord, the Spirit, led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there because he had been led there by the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. He took the child in his arms. Some of you are like, he like, like he took the kid? Yeah, it's a different time. Parents were still there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. He's speaking of himself, right? So he took the child in his arms and, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which I've seen your salvation. You're like, what? He's just got a baby. Which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. There's a lot of things you could highlight. I want to go after something that maybe you've never gone after. He took the child in his arms. Now, I did some research. This may not blow your mind here in a second. You're like, arm. That's the Greek word, the curve of inner angle of the arm. Thanks, Reverend David, on this one. Um, <laughs> give me a second. Okay, give me a second. I grew up watching movies like The Lion King. Anyone? Yeah. Uh, fans of The Lion King. And, and, and sometimes when you get, when you get the the hero, or the new kid is born, what would he, grab the kid, Simba, right? Like you're, so I'm, I'm just talking about when, when a savior, when a, when a leader, when, when someone super important is born or comes into the picture in the movies that I grew up in, everyone gets around them and immediately begins to, to elevate that person, begins to take that person and be like, all right, get in charge, we're gonna, we're gonna groom you and get you into this place, and oh, they tried with Jesus. They tried with Jesus to get him to take over the government. They thought, oh good, finally someone here to fix the political system. This is awesome. And they began to try to get him that direction. Don't have that direction. That's why I'm pointing this out. Simeon, who is in his 80s at this time, I don't know how long you've been hoping for whatever you're hoping for. I assure you, a man who was told that he would not die before meeting the Messiah was hoping on that one for quite some time and was led by God multiple times to different places. When, when does he show up and say, you told me to go to the temple yesterday and nothing happened, God? See, we're discounting as though God's never done that, as though God doesn't do test runs to check our hearts. See, we, we discount the fact that Simeon had received a promise, and I wonder if you've ever felt like, God, you should do this, and he's not doing it, and so you're wrestling with, maybe now, maybe in the future, I don't know if I can keep hoping. 
And what happens is if you don't hope well, you get jaded. You give up. And what I want to point out, Simeon, who's in his 80s, who has been promised he would meet the Messiah, he could have at multiple points said, I must have been wrong. God must not be real or care about me or whatever. I'm done with this. Oh, you woke me up again, God? I'm supposed to go to the temple? No. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you ever had a day like that. Your pastor's had days like that. Where I wake up and I just want to say, God, no, I'm tired. I'm tired of your games, God. Don't miss that this is in the mix, the ingredients of Simeon. And so I point out, look at Simeon's reaction is not to all of a sudden jumpstart the whole thing and get crazy with it and march Jesus straight to the king. He, he cradles the baby like you do in a tender moment. That's important to see. That Simeon in this moment, wanting, wanting someone to rescue them, Simeon just cradles the baby. And at that moment, he is, he's holding the, the rock of ages, the son of God, the hope for every generation before and after. He's literally holding in, his, in the, the crevice of his arm the hope for all mankind. Can you imagine? And many of us are like, no, that would be so cool. Take a picture, please. <laughs> but notice Simeon's words are, I can die now because God has proven how real and good he is. Huh. I hope you're willing to be devout and have the character of God because it's linked to your hope. Then, if that's not enough for you, it keeps going. And we meet somebody like brand new. Anna! Some of you are like, is this a different chapter? No, no, we're still there in the temple where they thought they were just coming to sacrifice some birds and be done with it and go. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when she had been married only seven years. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple. Stop. She never left the temple. She's not a priest. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night. Worshiping God with fasting and prayer, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. If you're not weirded out at first by this, you, you are at first, but then you recognize something amazing is playing out here. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, if you didn't know these people, Simeon and Anna are, have all of a sudden surrounded Mary and Joseph in essence. They're just there to dedicate the kid to do the sacrifice, to do what they're supposed to do. And now you've got Simeon holding baby Jesus and Anna showing up, praising God around them. What in the world? And not only are these people, these are people in their 80s who have been hoping for the rescue to happen. Hoping, not optimistic. That's important for you and I to recognize. Hoping, not optimistic. Hoping, they're different words. Again, as a kid who grew up with an English teacher as a mom. Let's go after this for a second, for a second. Hope 
and optimism. Optimism focuses on circumstances. If you're an optimistic person, good for you. It's not bad. But it means that you're hoping the circumstances work out right, right? It's about this, you dwell on the, on the circumstances. You're like this or that or they. I hope that gets better. Hope is focusing on the character specifically. The character of God. Christians, we need to know this. We are not called to optimism. We're called to hope. And hope is about the character. The character of God. So you look at motivation. Add to this different types of motivation. Let me show you. Uh, confidence based on future potential, like this could work out, they could do the right thing, they, all that. Hope is confidence based on God's past faithfulness. So, so I want you to see the difference because they're different. The you and I, when we talk about Advent, when we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ and our Savior and our Messiah, and we're like, yeah, it's a big deal because we're talking about hope. And we're not talking about our circumstances getting better, the government doing things that we want them to do, people around us all starting to behave better, everyone be nicer to each other. We're talking about a bigger hope, that there is someone that we're putting our trust in, character-wise, that the past faithfulness of God is so good and reliable that no matter what goes on around us, we can still have hope. That's why Christians get accused sometimes of having our heads in the sand when maybe we don't. Maybe we just trust in a guy that's faithful. So what does Simeon have to teach us about hope? Hope requires holding on. That's the lesson there. If you want to hope, if you really want it, then you need to get active on this and hope requires holding on, holding on. I'll remind you of something, Luke 2, 27. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. I wonder what he was thinking that day. I'm confident he got up and had some coffee. I can't prove it, but I'm confident. And then he's prompted to go to the temple. Why did he go to the temple that day? I think it's because of what you dwell on. Here, let me show you. It, I've, I've actually talked about this multiple times because either your circumstances or God's character gets your attention in the midst of needing hope. As soon as a doctor says something, as soon as a spouse says something, as soon as your kid says something, as soon as something happens at work, as soon as something unfolds where you're like, I need hope, your eyes, my eyes, we dwell on one thing or the other, right? What I wanna encourage you to do the next time this plays out, go to God's character. Don't ignore the reality, I'm not telling you that, but dwell on, focus on, and you're gonna have to give this a ton of effort, saying when I wake up today, my life might be a whole mess but God's good, God's faithful. God created a plan and brought the savior of mankind through a dirt poor family <laughs> who had no means of anything, no authority, no influence, and all of a sudden, you and I are in a year worshiping Jesus. It seems that God can do the impossible. What has your attention right now? Your circumstances or the character of God? In fact, if you never have, I would encourage you to decide to give your life over to God. It doesn't mean that your situation and details of your life will get all smooth. In fact, if you want to read more about what Simeon told Mary and Joseph, it was not a Hallmark card. 
Simeon basically tells him like, hey, hope of the world, this is awesome, and then brings up a sword and stuff, and it's like, this is gonna get painful, mom and dad. Basically saying, hey, hope of the world, but uh, this is not gonna be easy. I would encourage whoever you are, wherever you come from, to hope in the perfect God. Now I know that uh, specifically on a, on a day like today, there's a large portion of us who are like, I've, I, I, yes David, I, I've already done that, I've already put my, my hope in God, That's, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. Well then we gotta lean into Anna. And what Anna teaches us is this, hope is a gift to be given. Notice her different reaction, which is not a wrong reaction. She just responded to Jesus differently. If you've already forgotten, which, welcome to how I was in class, uh, Luke 2.38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began, she doesn't cradle the kid. And she began praising God, but she doesn't even stop there. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. In other words, you got Simeon like creating a little baby, Mary and Joseph going, sure hope we can trust you, and all, all this kind of, you got this stuff. But then Anna shows up and is like, oh my, the rescuer. And then she just starts going, hey, he's the rescuer. Hey, he's, he's the rescuer. Hey, hey, he, he's our hope. Hey, hey, he's our hope. She just starts going around like an incredible evangelist. This is awesome that this woman of God is now preaching in the temple going, hey, everybody, who will listen? Hope is here. So if you already have the hope, we all want to receive hope. Will you consider giving it to? I think this is what we as Christians begin to, to take our next steps in our faith with God where it's not just like, I got hope, I needed a hope, and good, you might need a dose of hope today, but not only do you need a dose of it, but I assure you that if it's not the person next to you, it's the person nearby that says, I need hope too. And I can walk it out even further. People in our cities, in our states, people all over this globe are desperate for hope. And we live in a current nation right now who has started a new religion, I can't find the exact date, but started a new religion called politics where we think our new hope is our new politician. We look to the government saying, will you fix it? And I know again, this is the last time some of you will ever be a part of our church, but I'm just telling you, our hope was never designed to come from anyone other than God himself. And God said this, I am going to build and establish what's called the church, and the church is gonna become the vehicle for this hope. Not that we are the saviors, we are not. <laughs> but if you wanna know what's going wrong in the world, stop putting all your attention on whatever news you're watching, and would you start putting your attention on your church and say, what is our church doing? to bring hope, not just receive it, but to bring it everywhere. We need more Annas. Simeon, that's great, that's great. But Anna taught us something very profound, that we need to bring it everywhere we can. And so I am going to be very intentional with you for these next few minutes, so please listen very clearly. We do at the end of Christmas, or in Christmas, we model the story 
of Christmas where the Magi bring these gifts to Jesus. We call it shine. And uh, every year, we as a church, we give gifts, probably, you give gifts to people you probably don't even like, frankly. I mean, you got at least someone on your list, you're like, I have to, here you go. Uh, uh, so what I'm telling you is, is we can do that. We can, we can do all of those parties and have all that. That's great. That's good. But as Christians, we believe that people need hope. And, and Jesus said he wanted to use the church. And so every year, we encourage everyone who's a part of Fountain Springs and beyond to bring financial gifts to the church, to God, and say, God, would you do something with this? Would you bring hope everywhere? And so uh, to give you some history, last year, I shared this with the church and said, hey, uh, God, in the midst of COVID, spread out our opportunity to show people who Jesus is all over the state and beyond. And we were using equipment in ways that it should not be used. And so what we've done with last year's Shine offering, we created a studio. We upgraded a bunch of tech gear to allow us now that we can live stream high east and online and everybody. Like we can now, as one church in multiple locations, gather. And, and now I've got uh, news of people like I've told you in Nebraska, but all over the whole world. I, Nebraska and the world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we 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 went we went very directly at being digital as a church, and, and we needed to, and we need to continue to do that. If you don't like the idea that a church is digital and you think it keeps people away from church. Uh, you and I can have a conversation later on. Uh, I can tell you story after story after story of people watching digitally and then deciding to follow Jesus and showing up in person. I know people who have watched digitally and then come to the next service and gotten baptized. I'm telling you, God set it up and is using the digital approach to showing people who Jesus is. However, the world is again different. And we not only need to care about people digitally, but we need to care about the physical needs in people's lives. Would you agree? So this year's Shine offering has a big list, like my kids did. Um, so there's, you can get the information, if you're, if you're at a location, you, you, there's information on your seats, uh, there's information on, on the website and the app, and you can go find all this if you're like, oh my goodness, overload, I, I get that. We're doing stuff locally and we're doing stuff globally, but we need to jumpstart because COVID had us like only locally doing things. We need to make sure that we are doing things locally, nationally, and globally, meeting the needs of people who they desperately need help. So this year's Shine Offering is gonna go directly towards what, what we call compassion. Getting involved in the physical, tangible needs of other human beings. So that's where your sacrifice will go, that's where my sacrifice will go, and there's some couple new things I need to highlight for you, but you can go do your own research, see if this is legit. Uh, one is this, uh, there is still Bible poverty going on, if you don't know what that means, there is still tons of people who can't read the Bible because it's not in their language. So we as a church are gonna help fund the translation into their language so that they can read the Bible and hopefully come to know who Jesus is. There are many countries who don't even allow the Bible to be present, and not even, it, this is a part of it, not only getting translated, but getting it delivered. That's what part of this year's Shine Offering will go to. I'm gonna highlight just one other one, uh, this one, World Hope, uh, Enable the Children in Sierra Leone. I'll give you a little history here. In Sierra Leone specifically, uh, when, when children are, are born, and I'll say this, uh, 
when they, when they don't look like all of the other kids. It is traditionally treated as that kid then um, um, was not blessed by God and sometimes is consu- they think consumed by a demon uh, or, or is treated like garbage. And so often a kid, if they just receive some physical therapy or some care, could actually learn to walk, use their hands and their arms, could learn to speak, all this kind of stuff. But because they are treated so badly, they never get to learn any of this. And they never get to be what God intended them to be. It's tragic. When I say they're treated like garbage, some are literally treated like garbage. There's an organization there that is getting involved and doing the physical therapy and and the therapy with these kids. And one by one by one by one, they are learning to walk and use their hands. They are learning to speak. They are learning to do what they can do and contributing to society in awesome, amazing ways. And what they lack are resources that you and I have. So this year's Shine offering is gonna go help jumpstart those kinds of things. Now, I challenge you, do your own research. Go study. Uh, We got tons of information on the website and the app. If you have questions, go to Next Steps and be like, hey, I got more questions. I I would love questions. But Simeon and Anna, what a response to Jesus. My challenge for you today is that you would adopt both responses. That you would look at Simeon and Anna and say, I'm gonna do both this year. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have met with us and we are privileged to have met with you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be in your presence to sing you songs, to talk about you, to open up your word, to learn about these details about you. God, would you use us as a church in this Christmas season? Lord, I pray that you would challenge each of us, every single location, even those who are watching from the corners of the internet. God, would you challenge us to trust your character and to tell people about you. We love you, God, with all of our hearts. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen.